Okay. Girls, good. Colto. <laughs> A court of Yoffi. Happy Lagba Omer. <laughs> exactly. Today is really Lagba Omer, you know. I de did it start yet? What time does it start? Like now? I'm I'm never really sure when they start. Like when the days start. Uh, is it seven now? Yeah, it's seven. It's seven. Okay, so shall we start? Yes, I'm ready. Okay. So I want to start a bit about Lagboma because it's really very beautiful starts. I hope, girls, you can see what's going to happen on uh, on at uh, Miron because it's really very very special there. I don't know. Have you ever been in Miron for Lagba Omer? No. I went last year. Ah, you went last year. Kola Kavod. It's, yeah. it, as I say, something very, very special. Even if you don't like it, at least once in a lifetime you have to be there. It was amazing. So what I want to say, um, now something very special happened from Tzfat to Miron. It's for the last 187 years, there is a people who take the Sefer Torah from a shul in Tzfat and they walk it to Miron. This Sefer Torah was, give, was given to family Abu. Abu was a Frenchman who came to Tzfat and he bought all the area around Miron from the Arabs. And from this time onwards, every year never ever failed it, even during the independence war. They took the Sefer Torah from Tzfat to Miron. Now this year that it's so hard, they got a special permission to go. Now Miron and this uh, Mr. Abu built the buildings that you have got over the cavern, over the grave, yes? You've got, if you have been, you know there is a, building over and who built it? This Mr. Abu. This year, because of the corona, they locked it. There is no way you can get in, but they got a special permission, this family Abu, the, the children, to actually get it into the Aron Kodesh, into the, somebody is going to open it and it's going to be in. This Sefer Torah is in until Shavuot, and then Shavuot it goes back to, uh, to Tzfat. Now, it's a very old Sefer Torah. It's in a special shul. It's still kept there. It's the original Sefer Torah, and it's there. So this is one of the things that they do on Lag Baomer. Another custom on Lag Baomer is to take the children who are three years old and cut their hair in Miron, and it's also very, very emotional, very exciting. You see the children on the parents' uh, shoulders, they dance and everybody cut a little bit. It's also a very, very exciting thing. Um, 
All together, they say that the magifa of the, the plague that was between the, of the students of Rabbi Akiva actually stopped on Lag Baromer. Now I can, you know, you can ask a lot of questions. If it was a plague, how come it was only on the students of Rabbi Akiva? What happened to the other people? It's like the corona. The corona doesn't make any difference between young, old, rabbi, Jew, non-Jew, whoever, yes? If it was a plague, what happened? So there are a lot of people who say that maybe they were fighting against the Roman and that's how they died. There are a lot of explanation. The bottom line is we need to learn something out of it, like from everything, that we need to be in Achdut together and not to speak bad about each other. And we can see it also even now during the corona, people help each other and they're doing a lot of uh, kindness and everything. That's part of the things that you learn out of every bad thing. And the idea of lighting the, the fire, there are a lot of explanation why they light the fire. Um, one of the explanation is that the Romans did not allow the Jews to study Torah. So the Jews used to go out and as if they're going out with the children into the field, they're doing some kind of lightning, putting all kinds of things, throwing bows and arrows and all these kind of things in order to know, as if to get out the idea of learning Torah and if they play. Yes, the other thing is that from the time of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, because he was the light, yes? because he wrote the Kabbalah book, the Zohar. He brought the light into the world. That's why we also light the bonfire on Lag Baomer. This year, you all know, there is no bonfire anywhere. You're not allowed to. The police is very strict. The only, there are three bonfires on Miron. One for the Haredi Ashkenazi, one for the Haredi Sparadi, and one for the Zionist people. Yes, they are uh, religious Zionists. I don't know what's the difference between them, but it doesn't matter. It's three, so I think altogether only 200 people usually. It's over half a million people there on Miron. Exactly, it's really something very special. And <clears throat> so this is a bit about Lag Baomer. Uh, you know, like Baomer, this is the day you, are, you, you don't mourn anymore. You're allowed to have a haircut. You're allowed to have parties. You're allowed to have weddings. Usually on like Baomer, there are a lot of weddings. This year, it's a bit less because there are no halls. Yes, and if there is a wedding, it's only maximum 50 people and very spread and so on. It's, this year is a very, very special year. I think it will be written in history. Any question about like Baomer? Yeah, Rivka. Yes. Uh, hi. I have I have a question. After Lagba Omer, like Tulsha Wot, in that period, can you cut your hair or no? That's a very good question. Or yes. only on Lagba Omer. No, no, no. If you kept the mon to be mon from Pesach to Lagba Omer, after Lagba Omer, it's normal. Some people okay. start the morning time from Rosh Chodesh Yar. So they stopped on Lag Baomer and they continued till the three days before Chag Shavuot. So okay. if, if you started it on Pesach, from Pesach, then after Lag Baomer you can have a haircut, you can do whatever you want. 
Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yes. Thank you. Um, is there anything specific that we should be doing on Log Omer? Because like the celebration of it is different because we're not like having bonfires and stuff. Is there anything specific that we can do? You can do anything you want, but something special, no. Right. It's, like, actually, no it's not a holiday. It's not a holiday from the Bible. Right. It's not a biblical holiday. It's a, it came out much later. It's written in the Mishnah, in the Gemara, but not much. Yes. Mm -hmm. And therefore, it's not, yes. Uh, you can tell me, wait a minute, there is Hanukkah and Purim as well, yes? Right. But, First of all, Purim, we've got Megillat Esther, that it's a book from the, one of the book of the Tanakh. Hanukkah, it was at the time of the second temple. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai lived later. Mm. So there is now something special. We are happy, Baruch Hashem, that's all. Okay. Because really, we say the fire that we light, it's, fire is light. Yes, it brings us light into our life. That's when the light from earth to heaven, when Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai went to heaven, this is the light that united earth and heaven together. So that's why we've got also the light. Any more questions about Lag Baromen? No? Okay. So let's go back into Megillat Ruth, okay? Now, as I said, um, we will start again in Perek Bet. Oops, a daisy. Yeah, here. <coughs> and do you all have the book of Ruth with you? I know you girls have it, yes, I know. Yeah. Uh, you want to read the... Can everybody hear you? Can everybody hear the two girls? Jamie yes. and uh, can you read the English? Yeah. Okay. Sorry, looking for the page after. After, yeah. Here. Starting from where? Uh, chapter bed. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Where's, uh, here, and you want me to read the English? Pardon? The English, you want me to read? The English, the English, yeah. Sure. Naomi had a relative through her husband, a man of substance from the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Okay, we started last week about it, yes. Naomi had somebody who was modam from the same word as Yodea. What's Yodea? Ladaat? To know. To know exactly somebody that she knows. Usually we say a relative of hers. Ish yes. What does mean a relative? He belonged to. He was the nephew of uh, Elimelech. Now something very interesting. It's written Ushmo Boaz, and his name is Boaz. If usually when we speak about a good man. We say first, and his name is so-and-so, Ushmo Shaul. When we spoke about the King Shaul, it's written Ushmo Shaul. When you speak about any important person good, we say first, and his name is so-and-so. When we speak about bad people, like Goliath, 
the one uh, that had a fight with the, the Goliath Shmo. Yes, so when we speak about good people, we first say, and his name is so-and-so. When we speak about people, the Torah say first the name and then his name. Yes, so we see a lot, a lot of things the Torah, the Tanakh is stressing about, yes? And, and uh, Gibor Chayl, um, in the English it says, and the men of substance, meaning, he had a lot of good midot, good uh, deeds, yes? And uh, one of the main things, although he was very rich, he was still a very generous person, yes? Usually we know somebody who become rich wants to keep the money for himself. And we noticed it also by Elimelech. That's why Elimelech left the place. He didn't want to be generous to give to the other people. Um, okay? Yes. Uh, can you read the second uh, pursuit? Yes. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out to the field and glean among the ears of grain behind someone in whose eyes I shall find favor. Go, my daughter, she said to her. Now, we know that is a truth converted, yes? Now we've got a problem here. Usually you don't tell somebody who converted where they come from, yes? And that's a very important point because somebody, I personally, Somebody who converted, by me, is a Jew. I don't care where he was five minutes before. Yes? I don't think ever, oh, he just converted, so he's less important than me. No way. Somebody converted is a Jew. How come here that we already know that she converted, but Tomer Ruta Moavia and the Moabite Ruth said that actually to stress something very, very important. Although she came from Moab, and we know that the Moabim were not nice. This, you know, you usually characterize nation, yes? And when you speak about uh, the French, you say they're full of chic and they're dressed very nice. They've got this kind of things, yes? Uh, when you speak about the German, you say they're very much on time, yes? Every, every nation has got some kind of characters. The Moabite were known as very, very bad people. So here, something very special. She comes from this kind of, a daughter of a king, was very spoiled, was very rich. She had most probably a lot of servants and everything. What does she say? She leaves all this Moabite behind her. And she said to Naomi, I will go into the field. Meaning, I'm going to do something that only the poor people do. Now, I don't know if you know, there is a, uh, when somebody has got a field, um, the owner of the field has got three things that he need to do with the field for the poor people. It's called leket, shichecha, and pe'a. Leket um, is to leave few, um, what do you call it, like? Corner. What? Corner? Yeah, the, yes, of the wheat. Um, shikha, as if if something falls down, leave it in the field, don't pick it up, if it's two or three. And at the corner of the field, you have to leave it for the poor people. 
Now, what does Ruth says? Naomi, Ruth says to Naomi, "I'm going to collect whatever the people forget." She could go into the corner, pick up as much as she wants, and go home. It's easier. Now, another thing, she said, "I'm going to the field." She didn't say that she's going to the orchard or picking up uh, cherries or uh, plums or whatever. Why? It shows us about her snoot, about her modesty. She was a very modest girl. She said, I will, I will go into the field. I'm not going to climb on the trees that people can see something that it will be unmodest. We can see the side of Ruth, that she comes from this extreme and goes to the other extreme. Meaning, most probably, she had it in her character. Yes? We all born with some kind of character that we have it in us, and most probably that's what exactly happened to Ruth. Um. Yes? And she said, and I will go, and what does the Nomi go, my daughter? She was not her daughter. But she treated her as if she's daughter. She said, I let you go, even if you'd have been my flesh and blood daughter, I would allow you to go as well. Meaning, she treated her exactly the same as if she would have been her daughter. And that's something very special. I don't need, you are still young, you don't know, but usually daughter-in-laws don't get on very well with the brothers-in-law. <laughs> don't say to my daughter-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but, but that's the nature of the world, yes? We know always when, uh, you know, when uh, there is a daughter-in-law, they don't get always very well, yes? Nowadays it's a bit easier because people don't live anymore so close, but in the old times, it used to be very, very hard between the mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law, yes? And here we can see she treated her as if she is her daughter. Now, all these kind of things we learn, it's very important for us, why? Because whatever is written in the Nach, we need to take it upon ourselves. We need to learn out of it. It's not just a beautiful story I'm telling you. Yes, it's not a Cinderella story. It's something that we need to take it upon ourselves and learn from it. Yes, and that's why it's so important. And especially now when we come into Haggash of Wat and we read the book of Ruth, how much more the Haggash of Wat is the Hag that we receive the Torah. And we need to do it, we need to properly do it. How much more we can learn from a lady like Ruth for everyday life? Okay, any girls, if you've got anything to ask in between, you can ask. Because I always think that I'm maybe too slow and I want to run because I want to finish. <laughs> okay, uh, have you, um, Adina, have you got a book as well? Yeah. You want to read the Pasuk Gimel in English? Yes, sure. And off she went. She came and gleaned in the field behind the reapers. And as, lucky, and as luck would have it, it was a piece of land that belonged to Boaz, who was Amilalek's family. Now, can you, can you tell me the first two words, what's in English? And off she went. And off she went. This is exactly not the right translation. If we, if we look at the Pasuk, it's written, Vatelech, Vatelech, she went. She went. Vatavo, and what's Vatavo? 
What's her role? Oh, came. She came. So she oh, went and she yeah. came. Yes. Mm-hmm. This is the real me. Yes. That's why yeah. I usually don't like translation. Um, I, I think my, mine says that. Mine says so she came, so she went she came, and she sorry says so she went she came. And what does it say by you? She went and she came. It says so she went um, period and then it says she came and gleaned. Yeah, yeah, that's what it says. Okay, so the, okay. yours is a bit better. Now, <laughs> what does it mean? She went and came back. She actually looked at people. And she looked at their behavior. When she saw people who behave a bit better, that's the people she followed with, yes? So she went to this field, to this corner, to this corner, and she decided, I'll go after the people who behaves better, yes? That was very, very important for her. And uh, now she went, and as I told you before, there is a corner where you live and you take as much as you want. She did not go into the corner. She decided, as it says, what did you say the word batalaket? Like to go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. She, she took it, yes? Yeah. Sorry, quick question. Is it, I remember learning that if you're like collecting food in a field and you drop stuff, you're not allowed to pick it back up again. And like whatever you drop is also for the poor to take. Is that what she was picking up? Yes, yes. If, If this is my field and I cut and some dropped on the field, I'm not allowed to touch it. This is for the poor people. And that's what Ruth is going to get. No, no. This is what Ruth collected, yes. Okay. But, but most of the people, why should I go after the people? Maybe they won't forget, so I will go the whole day and maybe they won't drop anything. Right. If you ask me, I would go into the corner where no one is allowed and I'll take right. from there. Why should I work so hard? Right. Also like Baltashlik, like she's not wanting to waste things. Like she's going Pardon? in. Like kind of like Baltashlik, like she's going in and not wanting to waste anything. Exactly. So we can see that whatever she did had a purpose, yes? Now, um, what did she do? And only what they, the people who gleaned, only what they dropped, she took it, yes? And she also, one thing, uh, after the people who gleaned, why? a matter of modesty. Again, we can learn from her. She was such a modest girl. She didn't want them to see her. So she went behind them in a, in a certain way that they won't pay attention to her. Now, and it was by chance. It happened, yes? Now, we know, actually, there is no such a thing in our way of life that things happen by chance, yes? Everything we know, and if you look at yourself as well, uh, very often I ask, girl, why did you come to Maya Not or whatever school I used to teach? Ah, it happened, yes? (laughs) Somebody told me, you know, no matter what, there is no such a thing. If you think back about things that happen, you say, wow. Actually, there is somebody who actually brought me here. It's the Ashgaha, yes? Because you were in the middle of doing something, you were in the middle of, yes? No matter what, 
See, why did they come here? Yes? And I can tell you from experience of many years of teaching a lot of people, and I can, even I've got students who are not Jewish. Yes? That I used to teach. And I asked one of these uh, students of mine, why did you go to the Jewish school? And he told me, Rivka, don't ask me. I've got no idea. But this <laughs> one today, he's so pro-Israel. And he started to teach in Korea. He's a Korean boy. He started to teach in Korea uh, the Talmud. Now yeah, I need to send him some more books about it. And so pro everything Jewish, so pro everything, yes? And he was actually sent to be in a non-Jewish school from Korea to Australia, yes? So you see, even if it's non-Jewish, you can see everything is come from Hashem. There is not such a thing that it happened. And, and uh, now what happened? That she went to the field of Boaz. Again, who is Boaz? Boaz is from Shevet Yehuda, yes? Bo from Boaz come the kingdom, and Boaz was a widower, yes? And it happened that she was into his, that Boaz happened to be also the nephew of Elimelech. So we can say it happened, she didn't know, she just went to a field that was close to where she lived with the Omi. Happened to be, yes? That's what, I, what we say very often, it happened, yes? I don't know the reason, not always, but if we look deep into the thing, we find out how there is a reason behind it. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has got his own ways how to do it, yes? Um, now, um, that it says, Asher Mishpat, what do I care if he was a family of Elimelech or not? Because really, he was the one who was really ready to marry her. So why? Because remember, Ibum, I told you last time, if a, a, a woman, her husband died, yes, and he has got, and she doesn't have children from him, and his brother should marry him, so there will be a name after the deceased person, yes? Now, when they didn't have children, so somebody from the family have to marry her in order to have a name after the disease, yes? And uh, if not, you have to do chalitza, it's a whole process that you have to do. Nowadays, actually, they do, most of them do chalitza. But it's not, nowadays most of them do chalitza. Especially when it happened in Israel during wars, when we had the wars between Israel and the Arab countries, and women stayed widows. So most of the times, I never, I didn't hear someone, except once I heard somebody married the brother of the deceased. Me personally, I never heard any other. Only once I heard about a lady who married her, the husband died and she married his brother. But I never heard. Okay, so we see how things are going. We see the way of Hashem, how he leads everything. I could read the story now without looking at it as it's the way of Hashem. So it happened, you know, you read the newspaper. It happened, yes? 
אוקיי, קונטיניו טו ריד, הוא רוצה לראות נקסט פסוק? Behold, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem. He greeted her, Harvest, Hashem be with you. And they answered him, May Hashem bless you. Okay. Now, what was the English word for the first word? Behold. Behold, okay. In Ivrit, it's Vehine. Every time in Ivrit that they say Vehine, it means something new is going to happen. Yes? Um, because actually Boaz was never, he, he never came into the field. Something new? Yes, it was a new thing. It's a new thing that Boaz now came into the field and he came from Bethlehem. <coughs> and when he came, he didn't say Shalom. He said, Hashem Imachem, God is with you. Actually, Boaz was the Rosh Beidin, he had the Sanhedrin at this time, and they decided that when somebody meet each other, they should greet each other with the word Hashem Imachem. Now, another thing, because Boaz was a mourner, a week before his wife passed away, yes? And uh, you know, when you come into a mourner house, you can't speak until he starts with you. This is the halakha. Yes, if uh, somebody said shiva and I got to, to comfort them, I cannot start to talk unless I start. So we can see from here again, Boaz was the first, although he was the main person, he owned the field, that was where his workers, still Boaz said the first word, Hashem imachem, God with you. And what, will they, what did they say? What does it mean, Hashem bless you? That Hashem will give a blessing for the harvest of the field. Now, very nice, he comes, he looks at the field, he goes around. What happened when he goes into the field? Um, who wants to read? Breda, have you got a book with you? Yeah, yes. You want to read? Number five? Yes, yes, number five. Mm -hmm. um, then Boaz said to his servant, who stood over the, the reapers? To whom does this maiden belong? Okay. Now, the question is what? There were so many girls there. Remember, not many people were in, and a lot, that's why the Torah gave this kind of to leave behind. Uh, cons because a lot of people were poor. So it didn't suit Boaz, this tzaddik, to start to say, hey, excuse me, who is this girl here? Yes, but what he noticed that she is a bit different than the rest of the girls. All the girls were together making noise, you know, starting with the boys, you know, pushing here and there and taking things. He noticed that this girl doesn't talk to anyone and she does not collect more than three at a time. Yes? Now, maybe if it would be me, no one looks out there, collect, you know, every time to bend down, to pick it up, to bend down, to pick it up, it's a lot of work, yes? I can make a shortcut and I can take more, yes? Who cares? No one sees. No. Here, 
he saw something very special at this girl. She was 40 years old, by the way. He noticed that she does not take it like the rest of the people. She takes it very slow with the correct way. He saw by her a lot of modesty. And, and as I said, she is a bit different than the rest. And she did not participate with the rest of the girls. She did not jump up and go and pushes and thing. Yes. Um, now he actually now he. There are some. There are different uh, commentaries. Some says that he wanted to know if she's uh, not married. If she yes, because he is now widower. He wanted to remarry, but some said no. He actually. Um, he could see that the Ashgaha, the providence, that Hashem actually is doing something. To bring this kind of a girl, such a modest girl, not like the rest of them, meaning maybe Hashem wants me to find out about her. Maybe Hashem wants me to see who she is. And that's why, and, and Dafka on this day, especially on this day that Hashem brought him to the field when she was the first time, yes? And uh, we can see that everything is actually comes from Hashem. And so he asked, who is this girl? Now, what answer did he get? Who did not read? Yael, you want to read? Is Yael there? Who is else there? There is Sarah here, is it? Okay, whoever. Sarah, you want to hear? Good. To read, please. Sure, 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 sure. Number uh, six. Yeah, that one. We can't hear you, Sarah. Can you undo your uh, voice? Sarah, can you hear me? So, Jamie, or uh, can you read? We can't hear Sarah. No, we can't hear. Uh... Okay. Can you hear me now? Pasuk Bab, six. Okay. And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, it is a Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the field of Moab. Now, very, very interesting pursuit. And the boy that was most probably in charge of the other boys, he said, uh, ah, she's a Moabite girl. She came back with Naomi. Now, we know already that she behaved a very special, she was modest. She, you don't need to repeat that she's, she's now Jewish. Why do you say that she's Moabite? Yes? And what does that boy want to say? Whatever you see in her, actually, this boy said, it's what her mother-in-law taught her. She's actually still a Moabite. Some uh, commentators say he already put his eyes on her as well, this boy. So he wanted to think about her. So he put down in front of his boss, so he won't think, yes, much about her. And... Therefore, I say all her good deeds actually came from her mother-in-law. It's not really her character. And 
he wanted to that Boaz will not show interest in her. Yes, most probably was a bit jealous. Yes, we can see that even in the Tanakh time, people were people. And that's something very important. People are people. Even if they are people, we still need to learn from them. And that's the beauty about our Tanakh, that any person can make a mistake, any person can sin, any person, but still we can see above it. Uh, there are some things above this kind of going down into this level. Um, what else, what else did, did, did this voice say? You know, she came, she returned with her mother-in-law, meaning she's now very poor, the fact that she comes to collect, and she came with her mother-in-law, not with her husband. It means that she lost her husband. Who knows why? She's got bad, what we call, she's a bad luck girl. And, and he said to her, don't you think you should look after the Jewish girls and not after somebody Moabite? That's why he stressed the word Moab, yeah. Because he wanted to, you are such an important person. Yes, what are you looking after this girl? Yes, and now he, yes. Quick question, when did she convert or she didn't convert yet? She did, she converted. Oh, so then why are they, so they're still referring to her as a Moabite, which is like not- She converted respectful. completely on the way back from Moab, when she returned back with uh, Nomi. Now, there are mefarshim, uh, there are commentaries who will tell you that she converted already when she was with the husbands, yes? But that was on the sake to get married. So this is a question mark, yes? But when she came back, and the, in Perikalif it says that she told her mother-in-law, your people are my people. Whatever your people behave, I will do. Your, your home, like a mezuzah, will be my home with a mezuzah. Your God is my God, not anymore idol worshiper. Right? Remember, girls, it's very, very important to know we speak about the time of when the only people who believed in God were the Jewish people. All the other people were idol worshippers. Until 2000 years ago, until Christianity came into the world, people were idol worshippers. Yes? And the Arabs were idol worshippers till about, till the seventh century. All the Muslims, yes? So, we were the first monotheism religion. Now, now Naomi actually, uh, sorry, Ruth, actually properly, properly converted, yes? And, but he tried to say, now, he didn't speak properly, he just said it in a hint way. He said, ah, this is the girl, the Moabite girl, she came back. In hint, he hinted uh, Boaz who she is. And uh, now from the other thing, you can see this, uh, let's put it in a nice way, yes? She's the girl who came back with Nomi, meaning 
She converted properly. She's a kosher Jewish girl. I saw somebody at the door. And uh, from here we can see even the positive side of, uh, of this boy, that he tells the, well, you know what? It's unbelievable. She's the only, the first girl from Moab who converted. Until then, no one ever converted from Moab. Although the Torah said you can't marry with Moabi and Ammoni, and because no one ever converted, the question is, that's why uh, from the beginning, from the Torah, it was allowed to get married with Moabit, a girl, and from Ammonit, but no one ever converted. She was the first one who converted. Yes? Um, today in the world, you see people convert from all different kind of background, yes? That sometimes we ourselves say, what do they need it for, yes? But then for Moab, no one. She was the first one. Okay, now, he continues to speak to Boaz to tell him a bit more about this young girl. Uh, continue to read, who didn't read yet? Adina, you want to read? Sure. Um, we're on Pasuk. Uh, Zion, seven. Seven, okay. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the reapers. She has been on her feet ever since she came this morning. She has rested but a little in the hut. Now, what happened? She said, now, the law of the Torah, when you collect the poor people, they don't need to ask permission. This is the law of the Torah for the people who own the field, what they need to do. The poor people can come and take. But here, he speaks nice about it and they say, and she said, let me, can I glean, can I collect, yes? Now, she only took from the shikha, from the things that the people collected and forgot on the field. Yes? So it's, it's a harder work. And, and she said, and she will go after the people who glean the field. And she's there since the morning. She's not lazy. She works the whole day. Now we can see he speaks very nice about her. Yes? Until now, she did not take a rest. All the time, she works and she works, yes? And <clears throat> the time that she took off was only when we stopped working, when we took time off to take a bite or drink, then she stopped. She was always behind the people, behind the men, yes? Not to jump over. Only it's all the time repeat what kind of a character she was, yes? how special she was. Now, why, what do I care how special she was? Because you remember at the first time when we said, uh, Ruth is the mother of the kingdom. Yes? We had four other mothers, but the, we have only one mother of the kingdom. And that's very, very important. That we had only one, and therefore she did it to be an example for a mother of our kingdom, of a kingdom of David. Yes, a good example. 
And um, now, she collected very little. She did not collect, even if somebody dropped five grains, she only took three. She knew the law, she never took more. Although, you know what? It's very hard every time to bend down, to pick it up, to bend down, to pick it up. She knew the law and that's why she did it. And uh, now, why did he say Vatomer Alaktana? He said he was a bit scared of Boaz. He thought Boaz will be a bit upset that he allowed new people to come to the field. Now remember, these people who had field, it's for money. They made money. Now if I let all the poor people to come, I lose my business, yes? What happened now? He said no. She does it according to the right way and she asks permission and therefore I allowed her. Yes? So in order to calm down, but he, did, he didn't know what Boaz means, what in Boaz's head. Yes? He just wanted to make sure that, uh, that she did the right thing. And, and he said, and Naomi is waiting for her at home. She collects for two people, for her and Naomi. And she does the right thing. She, she's not lazy. She doesn't jump. She doesn't do... Uh, as if he apologized that he allowed a new person to come in. Remember, we speak about, you know what I must say, I look out and I see the kibbutz Ramat Rachel and I see the fields and I can imagine now how it looked because now in spring you can see everything is blossoming, yes? And I can see how the fields now and I can see how it looks like, yes? And the other day when I went for a walk in the kibbutz, I said to a friend of mine, I can feel how Ruth came here and took the, out the grains out of the field. And she said, Rivka, your imagination is really wild. I said, no, read the book and you'll see it, it happened here. That's why the name of the kibbutz is Ramat Rachel. Because Rachel is buried in Bethlehem. And the kibbutz is the borderline of, of Bethlehem. So you really feel the story. You really feel it, yes? And... <clears throat> Now, what does Boaz, after he hears all the story from this boy, what does he say? Can you read the... Who is going to read now? I can read. Okay, read. Um, with, we were on number... Eight. Eight, okay. And Boaz said to Ruth, have you not heard my daughter? Do not go to... Do not go go to glean in another field neither shall you go away from here and here you shall stay with my maidens yeah now Buzz, now boss finished to speak to uh, to the boy now he goes straight to speak to the girl and he said and he said to her you heard what i was talking to the boys yes and he tell her you don't go to anywhere else yes why should it be so nice to her Remember, every time somebody takes from him, it's less money comes to his pocket. It's his business. He can't <coughs> give away. And, and now there does it say, Biti, my daughter. To say my daughter, it means you are very close to somebody. He said, I want you to know that I'm your family. I'm the nephew of your father-in-law. So that's why he could now become a bit more close to her, yes? 
And uh, please, I'm giving you the right to collect it like I give to any other uh, person, yes? Now, he also was very impressed with her behavior, with her modesty, yes? Um, um, what, uh, and he told her, don't go to any other field because maybe the owner of the other field will not be happy with you, yes? He already, as Leaf to say, he already protected her, yes? He said to her, don't go to her. And, and even in my other fields, don't go to my other fields. Stay in this field. He was very wealthy, he had most probably a lot of fields, and he said, no, you stay here until the end of the harvest. This is the place where you are going to be. And you should be with the girls who are here, and uh, meaning don't go with the boys. Now, again, he already felt that she's very special, but he was a bit nervous. You know, she might go with somebody else and she might uh, find another man. He already felt, I want her, yes? This is something, kind of a thing that we are not controlled about. And the way he spoke to her, Yes, uh, don't go, go with the other girls, don't go with the boys, yes? Uh, stick to this place, do this and this, okay? And he, he really treated her in a different way that he treated the other girls, okay? Um, now, what else does he say? Ken, what did he want? Does he have, is he married? If he was married, yes. Is, is he married now? No. He just got up from the Shiva. That's what we say. When the Naomi and Ruth came from Moab, you remember everybody looked at them and said, Hazoti Naomi, is this Naomi? Because she came very poor. And she told them, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Because, how did all the people suddenly see her? What, people don't stay at home? It's because they were in the funeral of his wife. So she died. And now he is after a morning after his wife, and it happened to be that he came to the field. Happened. It's not happened. It's from Hashem. Yes, and the, because remember, when we speak about it, let's go back a bit into history, um, and the history goes back into the uh, turning Sodom into whatever Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember? And Lot, the nephew of Abraham, lived in Sodom. And I'm going now thousands years before, yes? And the, 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 the angels who told Abraham that uh, one of the angels told Abraham, Hashem is going to turn Sodom into nothing, yes? Because the people are very bad. And he allowed, he sent the angel to free, to take Lot back. And the, the wife of Lot, looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And the daughters of Lord thought, wow, no one is left in the world. And they slept with the father and they, they bore children. One was called Moab, one was called Amon. <coughs> Ruth is a descendant of this happening, yes? But then came another story of Yehuda. Yehuda had three sons. And the first son got married and 
He did, his wife was a beautiful uh, girl and he didn't want children, maybe while she will be pregnant, she won't be so beautiful. So the first son died, he married the second son. Uh, yeah, the wife married the second son, you know, the Ibu. Again it happened, with the third son happened again and then Tamar, the wife of this boy, became pregnant to Yehuda, yes? So we see all these kind of things happen in order to bring the Malchut, the kingdom. Yes? And the kingdom now, now it's the time of the kingdom. It's thousand years later. Yes? People usually don't think what happened in the past. Yes? But we as Jewish people, we know that there is nothing happened without a continuation. Without the thread goes all through the history. Yes? Uh, no matter what, anything, you know, now we are coming to, we've had Yom Ha'atzmaut, Yom Yerushalayim, like, you know, strange enough, all the holidays of the month of Yar have to do with Eretz Israel. Yes? So, no matter what we see, okay. you can look that everything Hashem has got, the thread goes, and strange enough, it all has to do with Jewish people. I don't want to tell you that now the corona, everybody blames us. That with the Jewish people are blamed to, be, to have the corona around the world. Yes? So, no matter what, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu will make sure that we will get out of it. And, and that's why we have to be positive all the time. We have to see the thing. We can see also, if you look at the time of Naomi, she could be depressed, she could be, oh, they look, I was so rich, look, nothing. I need to send my daughter-in-law to bring me a few corns. I mean, she was so wealthy, yes? But Hashem has got a way why everything has to happen. And this is a, a, one of the beautiful things is to see the book of Ruth, to see how things are happening and to understand it even in our way of life, to learn something out of it, yes? And that's what's so important. Okay. And um, <clears throat> can you read another pasuk, the number nine? Who wants to read? Read it, Adina. Keep your eyes on the field, they are reaping, and follow them. I have ordered the men not to molest you, and when they are thirsty, go to the jars and drink some of the water that the men have drawn. Exactly. So again, he said, you should stick to this. You shouldn't go to any other field, yes? Even to my other field, don't go, stay here, because I already gave an order to the boys that if you want to drink. Now remember, we are speaking about this time of the year. It's hot. This year it's not yet hot, but in two, three days, it will be very hot here. This is the time when it's very hot. The weather can be what we call in Arabic, Hamsin, a heat wave, yes? And it's, now you need to drink. Remember, today if you want to drink, you open the tap, you've got water. Or you buy the bottles, yes, no problem. In those days, they didn't have taps. They had a well. And to go into the well, to bring the water, it takes time. And listen, I slept the water from the well, I'm not going to give you. Yes? Why should I get? It's very hard. So here he said, 
I gave an order, ציוויתי, מצווה, it's an order. I ordered the boys to give you and not to touch you, meaning you are allowed to go and if you are thirsty, you go into the, well, the place of the water and you can drink whatever the boys are bringing up. Now, this is very important <coughs> because the boys can be angry. It's very hard to bring water. Did you ever carry jar of water? Jar of water, it's very hard. Guys, you don't even know what it means to carry a jar of water because thank God you live in this world, yes? But trust me, when I go to India, where I go to India, they still bring water from the well. And I know exactly that I hardly, hardly use the water that they bring me. Doesn't matter if I don't wash myself every day because I know I can see how hard it is to bring the water, to climb up the mountain, and to, yes, and, and therefore, even if they will be angry at you that you drink, I told them that you are allowed to drink, that they shouldn't touch you. It's very, very important to understand it. One more pasuk, read. Somebody read the next one. Um... Then she fell on her face, bowing down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take a special note of me, though I am a foreigner? Look at, look at, at uh, Ruth. She fell on her face. She wanted to thank him. Yes, that's kind of bowing down to thank him. Yes. And, and she asked him, I, She fell down to thank him of his good heart that he's so kind to her. Yes. She wanted to. And she said, why? Why did I find favor in your house? I am a stranger. Now, there are a lot of girls who, who collect here. And you, yes, but no one cares about them. And you care about me. And now Ruth, until now, she didn't know. He never told her that he is a relative of her. She didn't know. But he was so kind. And she, she felt that, how come she felt, I'm a stranger, a real stranger. I'm not a stranger from the girls who come here. They're all Jewish girls from birth, yes? I came from a different country. I converted. Why are you so, she couldn't understand why he's so kind. Because he knew already the minute the boy told him that's the girl who came with Naomi from Moab, Boaz didn't have any problem. He knew exactly who she is. Yes? He knew that she is a relative of him. And, and therefore, he treated her so nice. Yes? But besides, he treated her so nice. And we will read the next Pasuk. Yud Aleph, read it. 11. Can somebody read number 11, please? Boaz said in reply, I have been told of all that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and the land of your birth and came to a people you had not known before. And now what does he say? He said, I want you to know that somebody told me whatever you did with your mother-in-law. Again, as I said, it's not normal to do what she did. Her husband died, goodbye to the mother-in-law, 
I'm going back to my father's house and I'll get married to a prince. She was a princess. He said, no, I had what you did to your mother-in-law. The kindness, the love you showed her. You, yes? She knew very well that if she goes back with Naomi, she will be very poor. She doesn't go back to a rich family. Yes? She knew very well that she might go back to nothing. But still, she stick to her, yes? And you left your father and mother, and you stick to your mother-in-law, and you came into a nation that you didn't know before. The Moabite, it's like, you know, um, what can I tell you? When, when you speak to somebody who doesn't know what Jewish people, I'm sure you met through your way people who never met Jewish people. Yes? And you said to them, I'm a Jew. What are you? I'm sure people asked you, yes? That's exactly what happened there. People were in a shock, yes? You didn't know anything, you didn't know what Jewish people, and you still decided, no one forced you to come and join. Okay? Um, I think I need to stop here, and we will continue next time from Pasuk 12, okay? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you so Thank you. much, Rebecca. Thank you. I must say one thing. I really miss to teach face to face. I miss you, you very much, guys. You miss Thanks. you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Hello. See. Hello. Hi, Jordan. Hello. Hi, Jamie. Hi, Kharatsvia. Hi, Viola. Hi, Adina Yonit, who I don't get to see, but I would love to. Hi, Di. Hi, guys. Hi. This is super fun. Hey. Hi, Sarah. Okay. This is super exciting. Um, they just, there's a minion going on up and down my street, and they just counted Sphira. And so I can safely say Lagba Omer without being worried that I'm messing up my count. So I'm kind of very excited about that because that's on my list of, of, uh, of what we want to talk about a little bit. Um, Is there a bonfire on the street? There are no bonfires on the street. There are, hey Ali, there are, in fact, hey Sarah, hey Jenna. There are, in fact, uh, we saw some cops going up and down to make sure that Hello. there are no bonfires going on. 
Um, we are planning on doing a little bit of fire looking like stuff in our barbecue, but it's not at all a bonfire because that's, they're not letting bonfires. Well, I'm teaching, could you go away? Um, that's, that's not on the program for tonight, but uh, we will have hot dogs, marshmallows, and fire. So, you know. And watermelon and chips. Go away. I'm teaching. And watermelon and chips. And watermelon chips. Rahle wanted me to tell everybody. And watermelon and chips. So, Baruch Hashem. That is all is good in the world. Um, okay. So, a couple of things before we get started. I am teaching. Goodbye. I am teaching. Huh, this is a harder time slot than seven. How do you like that? Who'd have thunk? Okay. Um, okay, start. Lagva Omer. So tonight, for the first time in probably years, uh, Miron is not going to be a big happening party. Um, but it still is, Lagva Omer is still a very, very special day. It is in, in, the, in Sphira. It's Hod Shebahod which is hod is the attribute of, of uh, submission and also comes from the root of hodaya, of thanks. And the, the ability to give a real genuine thank you comes from somebody who's going to be humble. And, and so tonight, which is Chai Iyar, it's the living, right? It's the 18th day of the month of Iyar, but we also know Chai always in Judaism, you know, life, life, life. So the life day of ER is in fact the passing of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and his and the Mida for this day is Hod Shebahod meaning we're dealing with the week the whole week we've been dealing with the attribute of Hod of of uh humility sub that I don't subjugation doesn't really sound so good but this place of being able to not take up the whole space to able to be able to not fill up every single bit of space in the room um, and, and today is really like that, the epitome of that Mida, because it's Hod Shebahod. So I, I want to put a plug that if, uh, if this is the week of Hod, and this is specifically the day of Hod Shebahod, starting here in Yerushalayim, then um, it, it's, it's a good time for us to be able to put our ego aside and really do a thank you. I think it's kind of interesting that yesterday was Mother's Day in America, um, and, and that place of being able to say thank you and to acknowledge, not just like buy a pre-printed card and a box of chocolates that we're going to eat uh, on their behalf, but to, to be able to say a real thank you, I think is, is a very, it's a very powerful thing. Hey, Nora, um, is a very powerful uh, a place to be. So that's the little bit of, of Lagba Omer. One more thing that I do want to say about Lagba Omer, because obviously, you know, we've been in Mayanod and Hasidus and da 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 but really, really Lagba Omer is that time that really highlights the body and soul of Judaism, that it's not enough to have, I don't know if you want to call it, the meat and potatoes, or really the body of Judaism, which is halacha, which is super important. Don't knock halacha, you know what I mean? I'm not knocking halacha. But the question of how does that interface with soul? How does that interface with with more than just, you know, more than just doing the right thing, which by the way, doing the right thing is a really awesome thing. You know what I mean? When, when Torah says, Hashem says, these are the things I like, these are things I don't like, and we do them, that's really fantastic. Like we're not knocking that at all, but, but when we have a little bit of Hasidism, when we have the soul 
infused in whatever our behavior is, then it makes our mitzvahs that much more. So that's definitely part of what's going on over here. We're celebrating Rabbi Shimon. We're celebrating Kabbalah. We're celebrating um, uh, we're celebrating the extension, Hasidut, which is the extension of Kabbalah. And just as a random factoid, forever wasn't familiar, we all know that Rabbi Akiva's students, he had 24,000 students that died in the period that we've been we've been uh, talking about now, this, this Omer period, and five students remained. And one of those students was Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. He's one of the five uh, surviving students of Rabbi Akiva through whom Torah was rebuilt. So that's just a little bit of nice intertwinedness. And now into Parsha. Okay. So Chomish Vayikra, we have a double portion. Okay. We're doing Bahar Bechukosai, which means, what is this Shabbos? Do, 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 do. This Shabbos, we are finishing the book of Vayikra. Okay. Which means that this week is Shabbos. Chazak. This is the week of Shabbos Chazak. If we were in a shul, which uh, it could happen, it could happen, or you could come to Karen Kayem. We have a minion going on up and down the streets. So I, I will get to go out. I'll, I'll shout out on behalf of everybody. Um, so what happens is that we have, uh, and when the parsha finishes, everybody screams out, chazak, chazak, v'nit chazek, that we should be strong, we should be strong, and we should be strengthened. So we're going to have to not only deal with two Torah portions this week, but we are going to have to zoom out a little bit and look at the whole book of Vayikra, because we have plenty of time and we have nothing else to talk about. So we're going to like talk really quickly and try to move. Okay, this is what we're doing. So, uh, so Parsha's Bahar starts off. Uh, thematically, we have very few things going on, to be quite honest. Parshas Bahar, by and large, we're going to go into it in a little bit more detail, is going to talk about the laws of Shemitah. Um, hey, Orly. Um, uh, uh, it's going to talk about the laws of Shemitah and Yovel, the Jubilee year, which we're going to get into a little bit. Um, and then it's going to talk about, self. you know what, let's start in order. Okay, we're going to start at the very beginning, because that's a great place to start. Okay, Parshas Bahar, which starts off chapter 25, verse 1. Hashem speaks to Moshe at Mount Sinai. Oh, hold on. Battery's dying. Battery's dying. She promised me it was good. Okay. We're good. We're good. We're good. I mean, Rachelay promised me the computer was going to be fine. I had plenty of battery. I probably shouldn't have. Whatever. Trusted that so much. Whatever. Okay. Now, how many times in the Chumash do we have, and Hashem said to Moshe saying, probably hundreds, I don't know. But how many times does it give us a location, right? Hashem Hashem says to Moshe at Mount Sinai, speaking now for all of those, just as a station identification, uh, the Jews end up being at Mount Sinai for a year minus 10 days, okay? They're going to leave Egypt and then they're going to, they're going to leave Egypt 49 days later, they're going to get to Mount Sinai. They're going to end up staying there through revelation, through Moshe going up, golden calf, coming back, blah, 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 forgiveness, temp, uh, tabernacle, building, da, 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 da. They're going to end up staying it at, the Mount, at Mount Sinai for just under a year, 10 days short of a year. And then they're going to move from that point forward. Um, and so the commentary is all like, okay, what's Har Sinai? Is it 
up on the mountain. It was when Moshe was down the mountain, but next to the mountain, was it, uh, you know, was it when the Mishkan was already built and that's where Hashem's presence was, but it was next to the mountain. So like, there's a whole conversation going where exactly Mount Sinai is, but, um, but Rashi takes it quite straightforward. And then of course we have like back to the whole Nachmanides versus everybody else opinion. Is this in order? Is this not in order? Because we, we dealt with Sinai a long time ago. We've been, had, we've, been, we've been moving on and learning for a long time. Now, an interesting thing, um, kind of in the random information, is in that time that they're going to be at Sinai, Moshe is going to get all the mitzvahs. He's not going to give them all to the Jewish people at that point, but he's going to be getting all those mitzvahs. Now, Again, did he get it in the first 40 days that he was there? Did he get it in the just under a year period that he was there? But by the time the, the, the Talmud says that when the Jews left, left Sinai, they kind of were glad because like, yeah, no more mitzvahs. We got whatever we're going to get. Those are all the mitzvahs. You know, don't, don't give us anything else. Um, uh, so, so Rashi says over here, Rashi says about, Rashi says about Harsinai. So first of all, just like a, like I say, random, interesting thing. So the first thing he says is, what is, what is, what is, what is Shemitah? Because this is what we're going to be talking about first. What does Shemitah have to do with Harsinai? And just in case anybody's wondering what kind of random um, jargon they use in Yeshiva, when somebody brings up a, a something that is totally not related, they say, like, where does this come together? This has nothing to do with anybody. So in case you want to try that out on some yeshiva friends and see if they know what you're talking about, if they don't, they probably have not been in the base measure so much, and that's why they don't know it. But Rashi says, what do we have? Why Shemitah? Why Shemitah and Harsinai? What's the, combina- what's the combination going on over here? And Rashi says, just as Shemitah was told in its general form, its details and all its nuances were told at Sinai, so to all mitzvahs were given their details, their general picture, their details, their nuance were also given at Sinai. So Rashi is in effect saying that Har Sinai is almost a hyperlink to tell us that all mitzvahs were given with all their details at Sinai. And the reason that Rashi feels that that is true is because although in Mishpatim, Chomish Shemais and Parshim Mishpatim, we had um, we had a slight reference to Shemitah. Here in Bahar, we're going to have Shemitah in great detail, and we're not going to hear about it again. Meaning in Chomish Devarim, when Moshe repeats mitzvahs, now officially, spoiler, Devarim is supposed to be. A repetition of Tyre, but there are in fact going to be mitzvahs that we hear for the very first time in Chumash Devarim. For example, Shema and Vihafta come for the first time in Chumash Devarim. We never heard about it before, and there are going to be other mitzvahs that we're going to hear in Devarim that we've heard twice and three and four times, maybe not four, but at least twice and three times that we've already heard. We're not having any more reference or information about Shemitah. So Rashi says, if we're not going to hear about it, the Arvas Moiv at the plains of Moab when Moshe gives his repetition of the Torah, then clearly they got all the details at Sinai, and therefore all of Torah is going to be the same thing. So that Har Sinai is almost a hyperlink to tell us all mitzvahs were given at Sinai, all the details, everything that we're going to learn were given at Sinai. And before we get into the conversation of, of Shemitah and what it entails, everybody's going to know, like, why Shemitah? Like, why would you pick Shemitah as your hyperlink to Sinai? Meaning, Shemitah, first of all, is a very limited mitzvah. It happens 
only in the land of Israel. It only happens when the majority of Jews live in the land of Israel. There's a whole conversation if Shemitah today is from the rabbis only, or is it also a biblical commandment? Most people seem to think that it's only a rabbinic commandment at this point. Um, but the jury's out. We're, we have another Shemitah coming up, uh, Pei Bays. Like, I was like, oh, in two years. And kids was like, ma, that's not in two years. That's like in a year and a half. I happen to love Shemitah. I think it's an awesome, I think it's awesome. I think it's an awesome opportunity to teach children about the holiness of the land of Israel, that the actual food that we can be holy, it has to be treated carefully. I love Shemitah. It's a little bit inconvenient for buying stuff because especially with, with uh, modern uh, preserving methods and whatever, you're eating Shemitah produce or you are, have the ability to eat Shemitah produce for many, many years. And basically what I found in my time in Israel is that by the time you finish seeing Shemitah marks on your wine bottles and on your cans of olives, it's about Shemitah time again. So I haven't been seeing it. So that's why I'm like, yeah, Shemitah's gotta be around the corner soon. So you can still check it up for me. What? Gamara, can I ask a question? Absolutely. Okay. So you said that at this point, some people argue that Shemitah is a rabbinical uh, decree. Right. How, how is that possible if it's so directly like shot given in the Torah? Well, first of all, there's a lot of things that are given in the Torah that, that, have, that have limitations. So for example, you could argue whether or not the majority of Jews live in Israel. That there are limitations. This is why the question comes up, why is Shemitah our, our hyperlink to Sinai if it has to do only in the land of Israel? It has to do only with when the majority of the Jews are in, are in the land of Israel. There are, some, there are some authorities that say that from when the 10 tribes were taken away in the middle of the first temple period, it's no longer biblically... biblically. Somebody else say that one. <laughs> biblically binding on us um, because the majority of the Jews weren't there. Now, you could argue that the census will show that, you know, we're almost there. You know, it's definitely something that has to do with the majority of, it, of Jews being in, in the land of Israel. So you want to argue it out. Is it biblical or if it's not, if, if enough, basically the difference between biblical or rabbinic would be not that it's a rabbinic mitzvah, but our obligation is rabbinic, meaning it's a biblical mitzvah. But if we don't have all the perfect conditions, then us keeping it today would fall under the category of rabbinic, not biblical. But the idea is if we get to a point where the majority of Jews do live in Israel, then it, we would be obligated to this mitzvah again? So here's the thing. There's also things connected to Shemitah that, are, that you need a temple for. So for example, and we're going to talk about this, Shemitah and Jubilee year are tied together. Okay, we didn't get to, we didn't even get into the plus. I don't know if anybody knows, we haven't even gotten to the plus yet. But they're, they're, basically within Shemitah, we have a Shemitah, a global, a global Shemitah situation going on. So the first Shemitah is every seven years, the land has to rest. This is very similar to Shabbos, right? Every seventh day, we have to rest. And so, uh, so it's, you know, then, so we have every seventh year, the land has to rest. Then what happens is that we have a cycle of seven Shemitahs, which is going to be very similar to what we're, the period of time that we're in now. It's very similar to Omer, where you have a 49-year cycle, okay? So 40, the, seventh, the seventh cycle of Shemitah, year 49, Okay, then year 50 is the Jubilee year. Okay, and that is when 
you know, we sound the shofar on Yom Kippur and we, we proclaim liberty throughout the land. Do we have anybody here from Philadelphia? Okay, they, right? We stay, the, that, that quote of the Liberty Bell, they stole from us. And to proclaim liberty throughout the land is from our, our Parsha this week. Um, so in the 50th year, in the Jubilee year, everything goes back to its original owners. And we're going to get to that in our conversation about sales. But in, in, in theory, not always in practice, but in theory, everything goes back to the original owners, which means if I sell my field to somebody, I'm only selling it up until Jubilee year. Jubilee only works when you have a base of Mikdash. So since we don't have Beis HaMikdash, and we haven't had Jubilee, we only have the Shemitah cycle running and not the Yovel cycle. That's the biggest question of it being rabbinic, not biblical, because biblical has both of those cycles running together. You have a Shemitah cycle and you have a Yovel. You have a Jubilee year, a Jubilee cycle. So you have this bracket of 50 years that's going to work as a unit. Okay, now I don't actually know, practically speaking, who lived you know, from the beginning to the end, because, you know, where there's no antibiotics and poor sanitation, I don't know who's living 50 years, but, but the, but the, the, everything goes back. Meaning one of the things that Tyre is going to talk about here is that we do not have a class system. There is nobody who is inherently a slave. Everybody, all slaves, all land goes back to their original owners in a Jubilee year. So Back to your question, how could it not be biblical? Because we don't have the whole package deal working. So therefore, we can work with what we have, but then it's not, it probably is not going to be biblical. It's going to be rabbinic because we can't do the whole thing. Okay? Now, huh, we didn't even get to the first Pasuk, just saying. Okay, so, so, um, so here's the question that, they want, that we want to know. What, back to the question of why does Shemitah become the hyperlink to Sinai if it's so limiting? And really, basically, what happens is, is that the, in the back and forth conversation, if you know the different commentaries, is that Shemitah is not as limiting as we think it is. Meaning, yes, it's only effective in, it only takes effect in the land of Israel. Parenthetically, for anybody who's living outside the land of Israel, when it's a Shemitah year, you have to be a little bit um, whatever and not by produce that's coming from the land of Israel. It's, I know it sounds very inherently you know, wrong, but in a Shemitah year, it becomes very problematic because a lot of stuff that shouldn't be sold ends up getting exported. So for the Jews out of the, out of the diaspora, we don't buy made in Israel produce during the, land of, during the Shemitah year, but you got a little bit of time for that. But basically what happens is that Shemitah is that time of year when, it's not the time of year, it's the year when we realize that all we do is make a little bit of a vessel for Hashem to give us a blessing. Because what happens in an agricultural society in Shemitah, Hashem's like, hands off. Everybody, everybody has equal access to your food. You're not allowed to take care of it. You're allowed to basically harvest whatever you need for personal use. You can't prohibit anybody from coming in. You're not allowed to do extra planting. You're allowed to do enough so that your field doesn't get ruined, basically. You're not allowed to add extra fertilizer and, and blah, 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 and da, da, da. And everybody's allowed to come in and take your food. And you can't say, ah, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. And that place, kind of, kind of like Shabbos, where Shabbos were like, oh, no, no, you know, world, we're not paying attention to you. We're relying on Hashem. Our Shabbos is going to be Shabbos. It's not going to be politics. It's not going to be that. We're going to be disconnected. And we're going to like just... You know, but like we can pull it off for 25 hours, right? 
But what happens in a Shemitah year? In a Shemitah year, for a whole year, the people are going to have to rely on the fact that Hashem is cradling them and is going to take care of them and it's going to feed them and they're not going to starve to death. Where there's no import and export and there's no refrigeration, this is a very, very, very massive leap of faith. But the difference between Shabbos and Shemitah is that Shabbos, we don't do any, we don't have, we have no interaction. We have no interactions with the outside world. Sarah, like we were discussing on Shabbos, this place of a silent retreat of going into yourself. Shabbos is that place of, I'm not connected to the world at all. I don't have to deal with it. I could just kind of pretend it doesn't exist for this amount of time. But Shemitah doesn't give me that liberty. Shemitah, I have to straddle that line between, on the one hand, not doing my agricultural stuff. And on the other hand, I'm allowed to do everything else. I'm allowed to interact with the world and I'm allowed to do other business and I'm allowed to cook and sew and bake, blah, blah, blah. I can do everything else. So that place of understanding of, of that we are doing work and yet we are so being focused that it's from Hashem. We have to do, we, you know, we don't get to sit back and say, oh God, feed me, you know, like just let, you know, we're not saying mana rain down from heaven. We have to work we have to have our we have to do our part and at the same time at the same time we have to understand that we are only the vessel for hashem's blessing and Shemitah shows it really really in a, in a major major way it's interesting i just want to point out that um okay in in uh chapter shush i can't see chapter 25 verse 20 we jumped a little bit i'll get back in a second but in chapter, in chapter 25, verse 20, Hashem is, you know, quoting the Jewish people and, and saying, v'chit homru, and if we, if we say, or if you will say, manochal b'shan hashviz, what will we eat in the seventh year? Hey, we haven't sown and we haven't gathered, blah, blah, blah. So Hashem says in 21, I'm going to give my blessing in the sixth year, and it will make enough produce for three years. Because normally what happens when you bring in a harvest, you're going to eat of that harvest the next year, right? It's not like you don't eat everything immediately. You store stuff and you have it the next year. And what happens in a Shemitah year is for the whole, from Rosh Hashanah to Rosh Hashanah, you're not allowed to plant. That means whatever you planted before Rosh Hashanah, you're going to be able to harvest up until Rosh Hashanah of Shemitah. Okay. And then when you're going to start planting again, not Rosh Hashanah because it's Chag, right? Shemitah is going to end, you know, Rosh Hashanah. But then you're practically speaking not going to get to planting till after Sukkot, and then it has to grow. So that's like another couple of months. So you need to have your sixth year produce has to be enough for whatever you were going to eat in the sixth plus the seventh plus the eighth until your food is going to grow. So that's a lot, a lot of faith that's happening, and at the same time, you're also involved in the world. I mean, you're not as separated as Shabbos. We're like, oh, this is my day off and I'm going to detach from the world. And I'm going to rest in God's cradle, the cradling of his hand and everything's going to be great. There's a whole year, more than a year that you have to like say, we're going to die, right? It's like, this is terrible. Like, and, and this is the place of faith. This is the place of absolute 100% faith saying, Hashem said, I'm going to take care of you. And if and if you let me take care of you, I will. And if you're going to fight me on this, one second, Nora, then it's going to be problem. It's going to be a problem, Nora. Was this like time that people could historically take to like write a book or like go on a cruise to the Bahamas? Like I'm saying, if you're not farming, it seems like right. a really good time to do those bucket list things. 
Right. So the theory of Shemitah was that you were supposed to go study. You were supposed to go back into the base measures and you were supposed to study. Right. You, so the Abedite groups of the Bahamas, because they didn't have all those, they didn't have the, the kitchen open all day long, stuffing you with, you know, random food. But, but, but kind of like, it's it just Stam, a random, interesting, you know, like you say, a hyperlink. Uh, there are a lot of Svarim that we have today that were written by rabbis who were in quarantine for different, for different plagues. It's, it's pretty crazy. The Kliyakar was written. He was, he was quarantined. Shlemy was telling me like a couple of Svarim, like, really? We use these all the time. How is that possible? They were stuck in a quarantine and that's what they did. They wrote books. So yeah, would, Shemitah would be a great time to, you know, it's, it's a place to tell all of us, to remind all of us, we aren't even slaves to our land. We're, we belong to Hashem. We're servants of Hashem. And let's take the time, you know, we always, we laugh, oh, recharge your batteries, recharge your batteries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you don't recharge your batteries, if you don't feed your soul, it's a problem. It's a problem, right? So an interesting thing Rabbi Tversky points out that the people are asking the wrong question, okay? Every year you eat part of the produce from last year. So when they say, what are we going to eat in the seventh year? He's like, that's not a correct question. That's an anxiety-based question. A fear question of where I'm afraid of something, I have to find a solution. That would have been the question, what do I eat in the eighth year? The eighth year, that's a fear. Like, oh my gosh, what should we eat? But that place is saying, what are we eating in the seventh year? That's a place of anxiety. And Rabbi Tversky says, the answer to anxiety is to trust in Hashem. The place of anxiety is to say, God is going to take care of us. God is going to provide for us. God is going to, you know, help us. It's not a practical question because it's not a real, it's not a practical. We can't give a practical answer because it isn't a practical question. Do you know what I'm saying? The seventh year, they have the food, whatever they had from the sixth year, they always had from the next year. They always had it into the next year. They had some of that food. So Robert Tversky was saying like, one of the things that Shemitah teaches us is that place of working on our faith in Hashem and to understand that, yes, there is the place that we have to do our part, but we also very, very much have to understand that the world belongs to God and we have to let him take care of us. We have to do our part. We have to take care of what we have to take care of, but really we have to trust that he is in fact in charge of the world and he's going to take care of us. Um, okay. Uh, ha, ha, ha. Okay, we're gonna have to move a little bit. Um, uh, okay, then so then we have okay, so we had set we had a little bit of Shemitah. Here we have a lot of a lot of conversation about Shemitah, which we're not gonna get into. And then we have a conversation about Yovel of the Jubilee year, where everything reverts back to its owners, which we said. And then uh, we have Hashem's assurances. Another interesting thing that we see in the pus in, in the Psukim coming up coming up ahead is that uh, then it talks about what happens if somebody's poor, somebody doesn't have, they have to sell part of their land. And Rashi says, this is proof that we only sell land. And this is the ancestral land that people got, right? When they come to the land of Israel, you only are allowed to sell land when you are really, really, really poor. You can't just like, oh, you know, they're putting a highway through and I'm going to make a lot of money. You really only are allowed to sell your land in the land of Israel if it's mamish, a dire situation. And then the Torah talks about all these places that we have to help our brother get out of their place of poverty. And the we, we hear achicha, 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 your brother, your brother, your brother, over and over and over again for us to understand that 
we, we are family, we are together in this, we are supposed to be working together. And sometimes, yeah, things are tough and things are hard. And, and still we can't look at the other person and say, you know, oh, you loser. No, 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 you're my brother. You're my, you're my you know, I, I will try to help you if I can. And it talks about the obligation for if somebody had to sell their land, that somebody who is close to that person who has the ability to redeem that land has a, has a Torah obligation to try to do that. Now, we sometimes don't have the money. We don't have the financial ability to do that. But there is this conversation that goes on. Basically, the Torah is going to be us selling some of your land, selling your house, selling yourself. And these are all levels of poverty that would cause a person to go into such extreme uh, situations. And at the same time, it's also given as an injunction or a exhorting. Is that a word? Exhortation? I don't know if that's a real word. Like to to yeah yeah you can do this i don't know to exhort e-x-h-o-r-t i don't know maybe it's not a real word. yeah it is a real word but i don't know if i'm using it correctly um to everybody else to not look down on this person who's in, in terrible straits but to say how can i help this person how can i help my brother get out of this situation how can i make it better for them tire also says that it's kind of a downward slope if we don't keep shemitah and we don't keep yovel then you're going to end up in a position where you end up with a place of poverty and you have to sell part of your plan and part of your thing and part of yourself. Um, and it kind of goes like down, down, down. Interesting. Uh, some of the things that the tire talks about is that if somebody sells a field, any part of their, any part of their field, uh, because of poverty, the, oh, the, the purchaser can keep it for sure for two years, for two years, you're not allowed to buy it back. Um, uh, and then after two, after the purchaser had it for two years, somebody who has financial ability, whether it's you, whether it's somebody else, your, your circumstances change, you have the obligation to try to buy it back. And again, the reminder that it was only ever sold until Jubilee. So if I sell my field in year 37, I can try to buy it back in year 39. And then I only have to pay, the, I, when I sold it in 37, I had... 37, 4, 50. I had 13 years of crop that I was essentially selling. And so after two years, I have to pay back 11 years. I have to, I, I, I'm only ever paying till Jubilee. So if I sell a field, the, I'm not allowed to try to buy it back before two years go by. And just remembering that two years could also be three crops, depending on how the crops work, but it's two calendar years. You can't buy it back. If I sell a house in a walled city, you have one year to buy it back. After one year, if you didn't buy it back in one year, it never goes back to you. It stays the owner's forever. Jubilee does not give it back to you. If you sell a, a house in an unwalled city, then you can buy it back whenever, and in Jubilee, it's going to come back to you. So this place of protecting, uh, protecting people and protecting their, their livelihood and understanding that it's not like, oh, you lost the, the family jewels forever and ever and ever. You can really, there's a place that the family will get it back um, at the, at, in a jubilee year, unless it was like you say, it was a house in a walled city and then you didn't buy it back. So then you lost it. But otherwise you always have the ability uh, to give it back. And there's a whole conversation in, in Hasidus about us and our neshama and how much do we give to God and how much do we trust Hashem and that place of being able to be redeemed, right? That place of... If my, my home is in an open city and I'm really trusting in Hashem, then I will always get, even if I mess up and I do things that are not whatever as I want to, and I'm kind of poor in certain spiritual areas, and therefore I'm in this position that I have to sell it, 
I always have the ability, Hashem will always help me to get back to where I want to be, as opposed to the walled city being, I did it, I did it, I own it, I own it. We kind of like, I was like, oh, you know, you're on your own, do your own thing kind of situation. Um, uh, guess what? We have another whole portion that we have to do. Um, okay, this is where the first Parsha ends. Now Parsha's B'chukaisai, we're doing fine, it's great, it's great. Um, okay, Parsha's B'chukaisai starts off. In the, what? Okay, Parsha's B'chukaisai starts off. In B'chukotai Telechu, if you go in my statutes, and you watch my mitzvahs, and you do them, and I will give you rain in its time, and your, your produce will give great, you'll have great, you know, somebody said, you get great cucumbers and tomatoes, your wine will be awesome, and everything's going to be great. Um, and uh, we're going to have peace, da 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 the, the, Towards the end of it, which is shlishi of the, of the second parsha, but it's the fifth reading when we're combined, we have, it starts off good, good, good. These are more blessings that you get. And what happens if you don't listen? What happens if you don't listen to God? And then it goes into a very, very long slew of really, I mean, if you're a student of Jewish history, we've been there, done that. There's a lot of terrible, terrible things that Hashem says, if you don't listen, uh, will happen. Um, uh, Really, really, uh, it, most shoals, the rabbi or the, or the Torah reader gets this aliyah and they read it very low and very slow. They just zoom through these, these curses. They don't trill it out. You don't give this to the bar mitzvah boy to practice. Um, it's, it's, it's low and slow. There, there's a story told about, I forgot, uh, I think the Kloisenberg or ever, but I'm not sure, so don't quote me on that one that in his shul, when they were reading what's called the tochacha, the rebuke, he kept saying, hecher, hecher, do it louder. The Kleisenberger Rebbe was a survivor of the Holocaust. And he's like, and after they said, like, why do you want it to be so high, so loud? He's like, I want God to know we did all of these. We've been there, done that. We, we've, we've paid in full and like, let's go down to the good part. So in Tyra, we actually have the tochacha, we have the rebuke or maledictions, which is a nice word, but not a pleasant word. Uh, we have it twice. We have it now before Shavuos, and we're going to have it in the end of Devarim before, sorry, the end, yeah, the end of Devarim before, um, before Rosh Hashanah, huh? In Kisisa, what? So basically Rosh Hashanah and Shavuos are both considered a version of Rosh Hashanah. They're considered a new year. This is our new year for Tyra. Shavuos is when we're getting the Tyra. And in the Gemara, they have a phrase you know, finish the year and its bless and its curses, and start the year and its blessings. Uh, I forgot. I forgot the exact quote in, in from the Gemara. Tichla shana v'klala seha v'shana v'bircha seha. I forgot the words exactly. So, so basically, what we want to do is that we want to finish before we come into into Shavuos, which is the year we're starting the celebration of Torah. We want to like knock out all the brachas, like, the, sorry, we want to knock out all the claws, anything negative that was supposed to happen, just like sort of, you know, get it out of, you know, get it out of the system, you know, da, 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 da. but it's never the week right before Shavuos. And again, before Rosh Hashanah, it's never the week right before Rosh Hashanah. We always have at least one week break um, before we, before we, uh, before we, before we, uh, before we go into the Yuntif. Um, 
and and what's interesting is that this set of this set of of teichacha, this set of rebuke is actually shorter than the other one, um, and it finishes it finishes with nice words. It finishes with in chapter twenty six, uh, verse forty four, forty five, forty six, that I will remember my covenant with Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Um, Sorry, even when you're in the land of your enemies, I won't totally turn around, turn away from you, and I, I will leave you alone forever. I'm going to remember my my covenant that I did to take you out of Egypt. Da da da, and then it, and then it kind of finishes. Like right, these are the these are the laws and the mishpatim and da da da. Hashem gave to to Moshe, and the sages say that this set of this set of taichacha is uh, parallel to the first the first exile. That we had after the first temple, the first temp- the, fir- the destruction of the first temple, that the when we were exiled to Babylonia, and the Gemara tells us that was for adultery, idolatry, and murder. You know those three "Thou shalt not ever, ever, ever"s, right? That was the Jews were doing that in full force, and they get seventy years of exile. And there are these words of comfort within the rebuke that Hashem will remember us and Hashem will bring us back. And the ones that we hear before Rosh Hashanah are longer and they don't have any nice words. And that is uh, to commemorate the, the exile that we're in now, the one from the, the destruction of the Second Temple period, where the Gemara tells us that that, that that destruction came about because of sinas chinam, because we, baseless hatred, because we couldn't, we couldn't in Yiddish there's an expression, fargin. I don't know if, there's a, if you have it in any other language. To, to let the other person, fargin, you know, to forgive somebody. That's probably not totally Yiddish, but to forgive somebody is like the mixed up language. But forgive is a place of to let somebody have good, to be happy for somebody else, to let them, you know, to let them have, not to be jealous. It's not even not to be jealous of them. It's, it's, it's to, to maybe to be happy for them when they have good, not to like, I don't know how to, I'll have to look up what it means really, but this place of, not being able to stomach somebody else having good when it's no, it's, you know, like that attitude is what the distra- what brought the destruction about that place of, I, I just don't want you to have it good. Not that I'm going to get it. It's not like if you don't have it, I'm going to have it, but no, but ne- neither of us should have it. That type of attitude was really what brought about the destruction of the second temple and that place of being able to rejoice in each other's simcha to be able to rejoice in each other's, you know, for real, to, to really be glad when somebody else has something good is, is I think, a, 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 a mida that we should really work on cultivating. And the Chomish finishes off, and it, talk, then it, has, it talks about um, something that's called erchid, value. If somebody says, I want to give the value, my, the value of me to the temple, it's not me as a, 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 a who I'm losing my English as a, a, an accomplished individual, the value that we talk about is specifically gender and age. And, um, and so male, female, and it's broken up into three age, category, three age categories. So when I say, I wanna give my value to the temple, that's what they're talking about. There's another place of valuations where we give our value. If this is called uh, Erchin, there's another one called a Neder, and there you do talk about a person's accomplishments, meaning the, somebody who's a concert pianist and somebody who does other, you know, their, their actual value perhaps is, is different, but here we're talking about a person's intrinsic value. 
what am I worth as a human being, not what I do and not where I come from. Um, and then the end, and then we talk about if you want to give the value of property, if you want to give the value of house. And the end of it is talks about tithing animals. And it talks about, it's, it's kind of funny way for the Chumash to end, that uh, you take, that if somebody, when you have to give mice or you have to give a tenth of your animals, basically what you had to do is you had to put all the animals into, that were born that year into a pen and make it an, an exit to the enclosure that was only wide enough for one animal to come out at a time. And then you would count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And number 10, you would put like a dab of paint on them so you could identify the animal afterwards. And you would count out all the animals and all those 10th animals were then holy and had to be brought to the Beis HaMikdash, um, which is an interesting thing. It's an interesting way for the Chumash to end. That's basically where the Chumash ends because it's not like you're saying, I had 100 animals, I need to give 10 to Hashem. I'm going to find the best, most beautiful. It's like, it's kind of random. It's like, well, however it works out, Hashem's going to like the tent that are going to come out, Hashem's like, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. Um, and that place, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, the, the place of us as our version of animal, right? You know, our godly soul is great, our godly soul is wonderful, our animal soul maybe needs a little bit of taming. And that place of 10, the tent that, that we take all of our, all of our kochot nefesh, all of our, all of our ability, and we have to know that part of it has to go to God. You know, it's gonna, we're gonna be taking. We have to like be putting some of it away for God. We have to be penning it together. We have to be sort of channeling it, and then there's gonna be this place where Hashem is really gonna choose which is our, which is our tenth, which is the part that He really, really wants. And I think we're gonna all find in our lives there are different things that really make me who I am. And that's really what Hashem is saying. That's the part that I want. Like, I want all of it. I want all, I want all of it, obviously. But the part that you really, that what really defines me, that's really what Hashem's like. When, when we say, oh, I can't figure out a way to get that talent, that ability, that whatever. I can't figure out how to like tweak that for God. That's when Hashem's saying, like, that's really what I want. You know, the place that you say, the thing that so defines me, how do I, how do I make it? holy for Hashem. How do I, um, how do I get it? How do I, uh, how do I give that to God? And at that point, basically, we're going to say, chazak, chazak, chazek. you know, we should be strong, we should be strong, we should be strengthened. Um, and, and we finished the whole chumash, like a, such a weird, such a weird way to end, you know, I have to say, it's kind of, it's been a very interesting chumash to begin with, Vayikra is a kind of interesting chumash. And this is a really, you know, <sighs> So how'd you end like that? You know, just kind of sort of ended like that. Um, so I want to, I want to, I want to zoom out for a second. Um, and it's interesting that in the, in the Tochacha, in the rebuke, there is a word that shows up in these bunch of psukim seven or eight times and appears no place else in the Chumash. And the word is carry. Okay. Um, in this context, meaning it, the Chumash does talk about a Balkari, somebody who has a, an emission, a male emission is called a Balkari, but in this context, where Hashem says, Vahalachtem imi keri, uh, chapter 26, verse 21 and 23 and 24, a bunch, a bunch of times, we have this word that if you walk with me, carry. And, and, and the Chachamim translate carry here as happenstance. If you look at your relationship with God as, by the way, 
it just happened. Um, then Hashem's like, all these terrible things are going to happen to you, okay? Um, and it's going to be really unpleasant. And it's going to, we hear it again and again and again. Now, if you remember, what's the name of our whole Chumash? Right? It's Vayikra. Vayikra and Keri share a lot of similar work, similar letters, okay? What's the difference? And we talk about it, we spoke about it, we spoke about Vayikra in the beginning, where Vayikra was written with a small aleph, that the word Vayikra means purposeful, meaningful communication, right? Vayikra is that, uh, that place where we reach out to somebody and we, 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 we want to call somebody and we want to do something. We actually pick up the phone and we actually call them. That's Vayikra. Vayaker, which is Vayikra without the Aleph, is, oh, I bumped into you in the, I bumped into you in the shuk and I have a message for you. Kerry is one step below that. Kerry is like this, you know? I don't know what that, that word is, you know? I don't care. I don't care. Whatever, you know? Whatever. That's Kerry. She's like, if you're going to walk with me, Kerry, you're going to walk with me like, whatever. Then I'm going to walk with you like that. And that's not a good place to be. But if we zoom out and we say this whole chumish starts off, it's called, it's all called Vayikra, and it starts with, with Vayikra, where Hashem says to Moshe, and by extension says to each and every one of us, I'm calling to you individually. I'm calling to you personally. I'm calling to you purposefully. I want to have a relationship with you. So when we say, what is the antidote to the to the, to the, to the rebuke at the end, is to remember where it is. It's in a chumash called Vayikra. It's called, it's in a chumash where Hashem says, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to have, I want it to be meaningful. I want it to be purposeful. I want it to be pointed and, 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 and focused. I don't want it to be like, oh, whatever. I want it to be Vayikra. I want you to talk to me personally. I want to speak to you personally. If you hear God talking back to you, we have medication for that. But I want, I want you to have a relationship with me personally, meaningfully focused. And so I want to give us all a bracha that this week where we're zooming out and Vayikra has so many details. Hashem's like the, the, the relationship has demands and has parameters and it has all these kind of stuff. Hashem's like, I want it. I want to have a relationship with you. I want you to step up to the plate. I want you to not to treat me casually, not treat me happenstance, not treat me whatever, to really be focused, to have a relationship, to make a choice, to take one step forward in our relationship with Hashem, and that this week, whichever shuls are going to be able to have a meaning, and they're going to say chazak, chazak, there is still that, that global energy available to all of us. If we can take the time before Shabbos, and this is great, having Parsha on Monday, we get to think about the Parsha the whole week. Um, if we could think what do I want to take a step forward? You know, where do I want to move forward? Then by the time Shabbos comes around and we're like, this is my thing, this is where I'm going to do it, then when every single shul or whoever's going to have it is going to say, chazak, 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 we're going to get that spiritual energy to us to be strengthened in whatever it is that we decide that we want to take a step forward in our relationship with God. So I want to give us all a bracha to be bold and forth you know, really, no, just to be bold, to be honest and to be bold and to be able to, to take a step forward, not like a, 
you know, could be like Neil Armstrong, you know, a little step for man, a great step for God, whatever. It doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be like a, a bungee jump. It has to be one step forward. It has to be something purposeful, meaningful, thought out and well, you know, well thought out. So it's been awesome sharing some Tyra and we should really, yeah, we should, we should be able to step forward in our relationship with God and to be strengthened because of it. And we should have only good revealed brachas for everybody. Have an Thank awesome rest of the week. You. Thank you. Take care, guys. Take care. Thank you. Rivka, Margo, can pleasure. I ask you a quick question? Absolutely, Ali. Um, yes. The part that you said, I don't remember what the word was, the Yiddish word that was like... Uh, Fargin. Fargin. Like wanting well for others and stuff. What was that from in the Parsha? Sorry to ask you something like 20 minutes back. No, no, no. Because we were talking about how the, the, the rebuke from this, this week was for the first temple, the destruction of the first temple period, and it's shorter. And I was just referencing the other set of rebuke, which is at the end of Devarim, which is referring to the exile that we're in. And that exile was because of Sinas Chinam, of, of baseless Got hatred. It. And that's where I was saying about that place of Fergin, to be able to be gracious. Maybe that's what it means, to be gracious when somebody else has good. Maybe that's cool. it. If anybody has grandparents that speak Yiddish, we should check with them. Thank okay. you. Take Thank care, you everybody. A quick question. Absolutely, D. Okay, the part where we it says, and if you obey and like listen to my commandments, I yes. will give you rain. Is that the part from the Shema that we say, or is that different? Different. It's different. It's 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 the actual part from Shema is going to be in. Uh, you go, okay, it's going to be in Chumash uh, Bamidbar. Sorry, in Devarim, where we have Shema and Vahaya and all that stuff. We're going to have it. This is a. a that's a different um, uh, wording of it. But this is just the beginning of, in general, what happens if you do mitzvahs, okay? Okay, thanks, Rav Gamarga. My pleasure. Take care, ladies. I'll see you next week on Tuesday, Mer Bye. Thank you. Happy like Bomer. Happy like Bomer. Happy like Bomer. I made sure to count before I got on.